0: Welcome everyone to the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management podcast and videocast. I'm delighted to have with us Christian Tubbs, who is the Fire Chief at the Southern Marin Fire Protection District, and he's been leading there for the last six years. He's a graduate of Harvard, uh, Grand Canyon University, and many others in the Naval Postgraduate Academy as well. So we're delighted to have our esteemed guest with us. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Craig. I appreciate the invitation. And I am um, really looking forward to uh, chatting with you today.
0: Thank you. Why don't you tell us about your role that you're doing now and what it entails?
1: So, um, as you noted, um, I've been with the Southern Marin Fire Protection District for uh, about six years Um, as the fire chief in a special district. It's a little bit different role than in municipal government. Uh, The role of fire chief is similar, but in a municipal government um, a fire chief typically reports to a city manager um, or a mayor if it's a strong mayor uh, type of government structure in a fire protection district you don't have a city manager you are the manager as a matter of fact uh, it's often referred to in a, a, our title is fire chief slash district manager so um, in many ways there's a, a parallel uh, to that um, and so um, what this particular agency serves on the north side of the Golden Gate Bridge a very diverse community a very diverse environment and we can certainly get into talking about that uh, a little bit later You
0: yeah, would lo- love to hear about the context within which you need to manage and the challenges there as well
1: sure so um, This it's actually kind of fascinating um, Because it's not strictly in as a fire district. So in 2014 when I arrived um, the district was already in discussions with a neighboring municipal fire department to share services. Um, they, the district was still um, dealing with the implications from the Great Recession uh, and looking for uh, ways to uh, uh, be a little bit more economically efficient, um, and uh, so this led to a discussion about um, an opportunity to share services specifically at the battalion chief's role. And the battalion chief role is a mid-management level role in the fire service. They are the typically the most senior role in what we would call the operations division, so our field folks, the people who respond to calls. And are often the individuals who are the incident commanders in uh, multi-company operations. So when we have more than one unit respond, uh, we need somebody much like a conductor in an orchestra. We need somebody who is doing that work with the fire resources in order to mitigate whatever problem it is that we've responded to. And so... um, This has led to uh, this year, um, there's been a series of steps over the last six years, but ultimately what it has led to is I now am the fire chief of both the city of Mill Valley Fire Department and for the Southern Marin Fire Protection District. The Southern Marin Fire Protection District also provides fire services to the city of Sausalito. They annexed their services into the district back in 2012, so As a result, to your question a little bit about my job, I have three governing boards that I report to. Uh, I only work for one. I have one boss. But because I'm the fire chief for three separate agencies, um, that means I have a very busy life. Um, I attend a lot of meetings. Um, uh, So there are staff meetings in the city of Sausalito. There are staff meetings in the city of Mill Valley. I have my own internal staff meetings. Um, There are council meetings that I have to do uh, presentations at uh, for the city of Mill Valley, the city of Sausalito, and the board of directors. So that is mostly what keeps me really, really busy. Uh, But what helps me with that is I got a tremendous staff. Um, I have two deputy chiefs uh, underneath me, one who manages operations and training, and the other personnel and admin. I have a a division chief fire marshal who handles our uh, prevention uh, division. There's some exciting stuff going on in there. Look forward to sharing a little bit about that. Uh, but that's a little bit about what the job of the fire chief is. It's a, you know, really you're coordinating with partnering agencies, uh, not just in the fire lane, but across uh, government as a whole, local government. And then, of course, we coordinate with county and state and federal resources as well.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you about the interesting initiatives or strategies that you're looking forward to implementing going forward. I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah, so... Um, the, probably the biggest one, uh, besides this shared services, which we believe is uh, we're on a track for consolidation with Mill Valley Fire Department and perhaps uh, other agencies, is in the fire prevention lane. So I think a lot of people um, are aware that California, much like Western Australia, um, has um, large wildfires every year. And In California, um, this problem has uh, increased significantly. 2017, 2018 were very, very bad years. That created a tremendous amount of um, political and public energy, especially in my county, which is a very affluent uh, community. As a result of that, uh, two things happened that have affected my agency. One is that in 2018, we went to the voters to ask for a tax increase, uh, what's called a parcel tax increase. In order to expand our Prevention Bureau and in large part to uh, be able to provide some level of service in the wildfire prevention lane. So um, our agency, like all California fire agencies, participates in the statewide Mutual Aid Act, meaning we send firefighters wherever there's fires in California. But as we all know... um, it's much better to prevent an incident than to respond to it. It's generally uh, much more uh, economically uh, attractive. Um, and uh, if we can prevent damage, that's always a better course of action. Uh, but my agency didn't have the resources for that. We were successful in 2018 in securing that money. Um, they, uh, that led to not our initiative, but eventually what happened as part of some ongoing work, and again, another bad fire year, Uh, grand jury report. Uh, It led to a countywide measure that occurred in March of this year uh, called Measure C. And Measure C raises about $20 million a year and is allowing us to expand countywide on a regional approach. um, A number of uh, initiatives that are really around public education and prevention activities such as vegetation management, creating defensible space, defensible space inspections, fuel reduction, a number of things like that. So that's an initiative that we're very excited about because we've never had funding for it before. And it's, a, it's not only funded, but it's very politically supported. And that's really important to really helping achieve success.
0: Interesting that you said that prevention is, is so much more powerful. How do you go about identifying areas or researching and finding out the opportunities to prevent? That,
1: that's, a, that's a great question. So if, uh, let me provide, I guess, just a little bit of background. So if, uh, some of your viewers may not have heard of what's called the America's Burning Report. This was a report that was commissioned by the nixon administration in the 70s uh, early 70s when uh, richard nixon was in office and it identified a national problem in the united states related to fire in regards to loss of property and loss of life Um, a couple of things came from that Um, probably the most important was the creation of the national fire academy in emmitsburg maryland and one of the missions of the fire academy was to become a central uh, uh, location for collection of data because there was no national database at that time. And so it's hard to identify solutions if you don't have any data. So the commission recognized that and said, we've got to go do this. The other thing that the Fire Academy was set up uh, for was to begin to move the fire service from a trade to a profession. And how we do that, of course, is, is that you have to have Um, A body of knowledge and that body of knowledge has to lead to both research and then outcomes from that right so this is going to the heart of your question about how do we do that what we've discovered over the years is that um, prevention is is uh, probably one of the most successful strategies in reducing loss of life and and property damage Um, measuring or demonstrating how you how much you prevent is far more difficult. Uh, in other words, if, if, uh, I have a city manager that says to me, Chris, we spent a million dollars last year on fire prevention. How many fires did we prevent? How do I prove a negative? <laughs> well, we've, we've come up with ways to do that actually. And, and what we know is that there's really four E's when we talk about, um, risk management. Um, and, and, and this includes sort of prevention. It's the whole, uh, uh, uh web or the whole set of options you have, strategies you have. So you have education, you have enforcement, you have emergency response, and I'm being interviewed and I'm drawing a blank on the fourth. It'll come to me. Anyways, each of those strategies plays a role in um, uh, preventing uh, either the incident from occurring, fire from occurring, or you intervene and you limit its damage. And so, What we do to help demonstrate the effectiveness of of our um, work is, we certainly provide um, outputs. In other words, how many inspections do we conduct? Um, How many um, uh, violations do we find? What are those kinds of violations? When we put um, inspection programs in place and we follow them up with training and education, can we see a decline? in certain types of violations. So we would measure what would be called the counterfactual. And I don't know if that's a familiar term. I mean, anyone who does, you know, sort of those kinds of uh, uh, performance analyses. Counterfactual uh, is a term I think people would be familiar with. They love that term at Harvard, by the way. Um, but another thing that we do is uh, we, we like to take um, uh, what we would call the pre-incident value. So let's say we have an apartment fire. And I'll use one we had uh, last year. We had a building that was estimated in value uh, before anything occurred at about $20 million. Now, after the fire, the insurance company, along with our investigators, conducts an inspection. And from that, they make a determination on the loss. Uh, It doesn't typically include the contents for our purposes, but it includes the loss as a result of damage to the property and the structure. Well, when we take those two numbers, we can then produce, as a result of simple math, a, what we would call a loss preservation number. So in this case, we had about $800,000 in damage, which means from a, 10, uh, from a $15 million structure, we had approximately $14.2 million in preservation. And we know that the four strategies were major contributors to that. We also recognize that individual behavior is a part, very difficult to measure, but we can then align that with how many times did we inspect that occupancy, did we have violations, was the cause of the fire related to any of those violations, so we can begin to sort of couple that data and paint a picture, and some of that helps us understand the effectiveness of the various strategies that we take.
0: I'd be interested to hear because you have a very significant role and what you do every day has an impact for millions of people from the training, the programs, the education that you've done, which of those trainings really stands out to you from, um, the Naval graduate Academy or from Harvard or whatever you've done, what really stands out as having a big impact on you and your role?
1: Um, I would say it was, it it is less about the the particular school or the course. It's more the journey. Uh, So, um, my, I've been in the fire service 41 years now, and when I started, um, I was in the process of trying to complete uh, my AA degree. I actually didn't finish my uh, undergrad until I was 40 years old. I'm, uh, uh, In all transparency, I'm 59. Um, I'll be 60 this year. Um, uh, so I didn't finish my undergrad until I was 40, and I finished my first master's when I was 41. Now, what drove me to do my uh, move from my AA to my undergrad was actually the National Fire Academy. So I attended the National Fire Academy and a program they have there called the Executive Fire Officer Program. And this is what introduces you to the importance of building a body of knowledge and making decisions based on um, analysis, research and analysis. Now I had no previous experience. And as part of that program, at the time it was a four-year program, Uh, Each year, in order to go to the next year, you had to write an applied research project, which was a peer-reviewed paper. It was essentially a a, a mini thesis, uh, is what it was. I had never had any experience with that. I discovered from that process that I um, I really enjoyed research, and I really enjoyed analysis, and I've always enjoyed writing. So it was a perfect marriage. So. Where, where this became, I guess, a little bit of a passion which has led into this journey is because of, of my love for what I do, this being in this business, um, recognizing that uh, part of the challenge that we have with, with our elected leaders is funding, right? And so, I, again, as I used the example a minute ago, Prove to me how many fires you prevented so I can give you the funding next year. So local government is always challenged with how are we demonstrating value, um, some sort of uh, uh, equity to dollar in and some widget or service on the backside, right? And so this is a fascinating area for me because I I wanted to make sure that my business was getting the funding that we needed. It's a public value equation, another big Harvard term. They love that. but what came from that was um, inadvertently, I found myself um, hungry to learn and that's not stopped. So um, I didn't need a second master's degree. The Naval Postgraduate School has um, an incredible reputation. They have one of the most difficult um, uh, grad programs in the US. They have the best Homeland Security program in the US as rated by News World or News Report and um, I was very familiar with the program. I'd actually been on, in, on the campus on another program called the Executive Leaders Program, and a part of me is like, I, I want the challenge. I want to go back to school. I want to see, you know, can I, um, can I, it, kind of, it was kind of like in my mind, like the SEAL training of, of master's programs. <laughs> could I meet that challenge, and could I learn something from that and build new relationships that would benefit this work that I'm trying to do. So so there's a bit of a long-winded answer and I apologize, but, but to your point, what I've learned is the journey to never stop being a student is critically important because the byproduct of that is that if you remain curious and you continue to seek to learn, you will continue to learn and you will find things that will help you navigate whatever challenges you're having in government and you will build a network of contacts and friends that um, are yet another depth of resource that you can rely upon and In my 41 years I've built relationships across well across the world but especially throughout the United States from local all the way to the federal government something when I started 41 years ago I never dreamed of in my life I thought i I'm just going to be a firefighter, right? I'll go to work and I'll, I'll go on calls and I'll help people and it'll be great. And 41 years later, I look back at my journey. I'm like, I, wow, what an adventure. I could never have predicted that. Uh, so um, I am a big education fan. And just, you know, I think it's, uh, the benefits are tremendous.
0: Wonderful. That's really powerful what you said. I'm making furious notes as you're speaking. <laughs> I love that. Just before we wrap up, um, obviously education's a biggie. What are some other career advice points or pools of wisdom that you could give people looking to make a career out of emergency response? I think
1: that uh, those who have an interest in this um, need to come with um, a bit of a passion. Uh, like anything, I think that when we engage in something that we love, it is less work um, and really it, it, it fulfills us. In other words, what is your purpose? And I think that's a fundamental question people have to ask themselves is what, what defines you as an individual? What gives you um, reason to get out of bed every day? And, and what is it when you get to sort of the end of your life and you're looking back that you want to be able to reflect on and say, this is what my life, uh, how my life mattered besides just about me, but how, what was my contribution? Um, I think that's significant. The other thing that I think that uh, advice that I would give to people is the importance of um, character and um, relationships. Trust is um, probably the most valuable commodity that you have in government and um, and probably in the private sector as well. Um, and and so this gets to this issue of character. And as I tell people, um, Uh, my firefighters, especially the ones that are very involved in um, politics at the labor level uh, that sometimes want to take the heavy sort of labor hammer approach. Um, I tell them that what I've learned in my career is that's the most ineffective way to move your issues forward. The most effective way is to build relationships with your partners. And if that's, you know, that includes your bosses and take a vested interest in what their needs are. Because when you do that, you create a bond, you create um, an element of trust. And the byproduct of that is they are naturally gonna wanna know what's important to you. And that becomes a foundation in which you collectively can create solutions.
0: That's really great, thank you. I know you're really busy and um, you volunteer in community as well. I saw that on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, We'd love to reach out to you again in a few years' time and see what's changed and what's moved on as well. But thank you so much for giving your time tonight to us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Craig, and I look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you.